This is NER Out Loud, the official podcast of the New England Review. NER Out Loud animates stories and poems through vocal performances, celebrating the artistic exchange between text and voice. I'm Rahat Huda. And I'm Layla Markosian. Today, we've chosen to share two pieces with you, the poem Lark by Corey Marks and the short story Indoor Animals by Noah Bogdanoff. These pieces engage the ideas of nature and imagination and explore the way that we as people try to fit our realities into a world that we don't always understand. First, you'll hear Katie Marshall read Lark, written by Corey Marks. A stone lodged in the boy's throat. Why had he even taken it in his mouth? Hard to remember now. Something about its smell. Like rain. Something about the open field. A distant song. A sense of the day's never-endingness. On a lark, his mother would say. He'd moved the stone inside his cheek, along his teeth, pressed it against the roof of his mouth like candy, though it tasted of dirt and ozone. It was hard to imagine being on a lark, such a small thing, the size of his fist, though finer-boned. In the story his mother read when she used to read to him, birds were caught in branches, painted with glue. The birds would settle and then exhaust themselves, battering against the air that wouldn't open to them anymore. He imagined plastic bags snapping in wind. And now he felt like a tree filled with larks, his whole body branched with panic, lashing and lashing. Meadowlarks lived in the field. He'd seen them skitter in low arcs away. Not true larks at all, though. It was hard to think of them as a kind of blackbird with their yellow chests and brown stippled backs. Still, that's what his book said when it mattered to him once. Who named these things? How did they mistake so much? He didn't like his own name. Something an old man would be called. His parents were old. The day felt old. His mouth tasted like the ringing inside a bell. And how little he filled his name, the only one he'd ever own. It strained away from him. Beyond, names drifted the field, billowing, unattached, catching briefly on shocks of broken grass, a raised lip of stone. That was Katie Marshall reading Lark by Corey Marks. Lark was originally published in NER Volume 39, Number 3. Dana Yetten, our executive producer, chose this piece after an impromptu poetry reading at a dinner party. After many poems were savored alongside the meal, guests were drawn to the raw emotional quality of maternal grief in Marx's work. Corey Marks is the author of Renunciation, published by University of Illinois Press in 2000, and The Radio Tree, published by New Issues in 2012. He teaches poetry at the University of North Texas. Katie Marshall, class of 2021, is a theater and gender studies major at Middlebury College. She enjoys reading, writing, running, and making art. Next up, we have Zach Ferricchioni reading Indoor Animals, a short story by Noah Bogdanoff. Science Fiction. A deer arrives for you in a yellow PT cruiser. 
A woman slides out of the atrocious car, her face sun-freckled, her hair sun-bleached. She is no nonsense about this deer. She says that she found him next to his mother, who was dead by the side of the road, and that the wildlife rescue centers would not take in a baby deer because deer are too common to protect. She says that she's already named the deer. His name is Star Wars. He is no more than five days old. Will you take him? She asks. You consider that your dog is named Han Solo and your car is called the Millennium Falcon. It feels momentarily like a collapse of reality. The molecule is smaller and more fragile than the atom. And then Star Wars mews from the blazing hot cruiser. Eee, he says, eee. He is hungry and very cute. Of course, you tell the woman. Of course we will take the deer. Thank God, she says as you approach the PT cruiser and lift the leggy, terrified creature from the car. Thank God, says the lady again. You are a saint. And then she drives off. And you realize as she peels away that you forgot to ask her who she was and how she knew that you would be the kind of loony to accept an orphaned deer. Eee, says Star Wars. You do not know how to raise a baby deer. You know nothing about baby deer. For starters, you do not know how to keep the dog from eating him. You also do not know what baby deer eat or how often. The internet in your house is spotty. Today it refuses to tell you anything. You have a friend who is a bovine nutritionist, however, so you call him on the telephone and he gives you instructions, as well as a warning. Do not name this baby deer, because he is going to die of hunting as soon as he has antlers. His name is Star Wars, you tell the bovine nutritionist. Now that's some fucked up shit, he says. Superstition. Pigeons. The psychologist B.F. Skinner conducted an experiment which involved starving caged pigeons. The hungry pigeons were taught to operate a one-button machine. Press the button, and a door opens to reveal food. The pigeons learned the machine easily. They used it often and became less hungry. Skinner starved his pigeons again. This time, he did not give them a button to press. Instead, he opened the door at random. He wanted to see what the pigeons would do when they were not in control. They did not understand. They were caged. They knew only rules, causality. They still believe in the way that pigeons believe that they were responsible for causing the door to open. One by one, each pigeon began to fixate on whatever motion it happened to be making when Skinner opened the door. One pigeon squatted up and down endlessly. Another flapped its wings in a specific pattern. Another simply blinked at the door faithfully. This time, they believed. This squat, this flap, this blink, this time the door will open. Skinner never let his pigeons die of starvation, but he also never let them in on the secret. Cohabitation. It goes like this. You lie down, and then the fawn lies down. You roll over, slowly, and turn the lights off. You close your eyes and wait. The fawn gets up. His baby hooves clip-clop against the floorboards. He nestles his face into your face. 
he sucks on your ear for a moment, expecting milk. He trots to the far side of the room. As you drift off to sleep, you hear the hiss of a distant tributary, the trickle of a nearby stream. You are not asleep. There is no stream. The fawn is peeing, steadily and unabashedly, all over the floor. It happens like this every night. Strangers. You take a walk through the hunting grounds. There are no hunters in the towers these days. There are too many fawns tripping over themselves, too many mothers. The hunters aren't interested in killing women or children, and so they wait until the babies grow older. The grass in the grounds grows tall, majestic tall, human tall, so that when you go for a walk, you are not actually walking. You are waiting. Today, the sun is golden and threatening to set, and 80,000 horseflies descend as you push forward through the grass. You've covered yourself in deet, so they never land on you long enough to bite, but their drone accompanies you as you move further inwards, away from the path, away from your home. You think of Star Wars back in the house and wonder if he misses you. You wonder who he would have become out here. A copse of trees rises up before you. You fear what is hiding within it. Even though you have spent your entire life wandering through the woods, there is something about the hunting grounds that feels different, awake and savage. The animals are on guard. They live in the echo of gunshots. The horses fly with possibility. The air is so pungent with earth that it eclipses your bug spray. Something moves in the grass underfoot. When you look down, you see that it is a fawn. It is strange to be alone with a fawn who is not your fawn. For the fawn, it is strange to see a human without a gun. You stare at each other, shocked. The fawn bellows like an air horn. Birds rise from the copse in one massive flock. Somewhere in the fields, the tall grass rustles. Drums sound in your ears as you think, This deer has a mother. The mother is on her way. She will be angry. The hunting grounds come alive. You run. Superstition. House cats. After eight years of normalcy, a house cat refused to use his litter box. The humans who cared for him were at a loss. He had always been a perfect cat. In fact, it was the humans who had ruined things. They had left the scooper in the litter box rather than next to it, where it usually resided. Animal behaviorists will tell you that cats are very particular about their litter boxes. They will tell you that for some cats, even the slightest change can cause anxiety. A smart follow-up question might be, anxiety about what? The humans who cared for this cat did not ask any follow-up questions except, how do we fix this? They believed, in the way that humans believe, that it was enough to name the condition. He was just a cat, after all. They were not going to send him to a psychologist. They imagined that perhaps they would have to buy a new litter box or feed him kitty anxiety pills. They bought him tuna-flavored pill sleeves, just in case. 
the humans did not understand that they had summoned an evil spirit. The litter box was haunted. The house was haunted. The humans were haunted. They held out their fingers and the cat no longer trotted towards them to nuzzle. He just stared at them from under the couch in the den. The unease spread out of the litter box and covered the entire house. It was not long before the cat bolted out of an open door and disappeared into the night. Gender Reveal Party You were in the attic, rummaging through boxes. There are not many of them, because when you moved north, you did so hastily. Eventually, you find what you were looking for. An old Nikon. Its only memory card is filled with pictures of a man smiling at the camera. You think, briefly, this is the most genuine smile I have ever seen. The truest expression of love. You delete all of the pictures but one. Downstairs, there are friends waiting. Star Wars is curled up in a woman's lap. Another woman is spooning casserole onto plates. Han Solo is staring at the scene through the porch window. You snap a couple of pictures. I don't think this is a boy, says your friend. How would you know, say the others. I could be wrong, says your friend, but look at this. She holds Star Wars up, Lion King style, for everybody to see. The Fawn's underside is smooth. Star Wars kicks a few times. Eee! Your friends ask you why you never bothered to check. You say, I didn't want to invade her privacy. Trying the new pronoun on for size. Your friends laugh and take pictures with the Fawn. It is unlike anything they've ever seen. Later on, as you settle in for bed, you kiss Star Wars on the nose. You feel badly for treating her like a party trick. You wish you had not let your friend lift her up and put her on display. Star Wars sucks on your ear for a little bit. She still seems to think that milk will emerge from your lobes. I'm sorry, you say to Star Wars, who doesn't care. I'm sorry. This is just a thing that humans do. Still, you are glad that she will not be hunted. Nuclear fusion. The bovine nutritionist calls you up to see how Star Wars is faring. He tells you to make sure you're wiping her ass with a moist towel every time you feed her. Otherwise, she will plug up and die. This explains why she hasn't been going to the bathroom, you say. Get ready for a big one, says the bovine nutritionist. You buy a large container of moist wipes. Soon, you are no longer squeamish about fawn poop. And after a few days, you notice that Han Solo looks less hungry and more lonely when he stares at you in Star Wars through the doggy gate. He seems so peaceful, so sad to be left out, that you take the gate down. Han Solo trots up to Star Wars and begins to lick her anus. You relegate the moist wipes to the pantry and think that your old sci-fi nerd friends would get a kick out of Han Solo licking Star Wars' asshole. You get a kick out of it, too. But these days you barely remember that the names ever belonged to anyone besides a Belgian shepherd and a fawn. You gather by the porch door and stare outwards into the wilderness. This is your family, for now. Superstition Elephants. 
It is a well-documented fact that elephants mourn their dead. If a herd of elephants encounters an elephant skeleton, the herd will halt its migration to investigate. The elephants will run their trunks slowly and curiously along the empty bones. They will cover the body in grass as though they are burying it. Some enthusiastic journalists have written that the elephants will weep during these rituals, but nobody has documented such a thing. If the bones belong to a blood relative, the elephants will remain at the site for days, sometimes weeks. It is unclear if they do this because they miss their loved ones or simply because they are paralyzed by the concept of their own mortality. Others, the loony types that are easy to make fun of, believe that the elephants are communicating with the spirits of their lost kindred. The End Star Wars jumps into the brush one day and does not come back. You are not surprised, but you are sad. It reminds you of when you helped your best friend move away from his abusive lover, and then he never returned your calls again. You have not spoken in six years. You do not blame him, but you feel hollow knowing that he has left you behind. Cardinal Directions Years later, you have sold dysphoria. You have sold your home in the North Country, and now you live in the city. You cannot explain to people what possessed you to move north, and now you cannot explain to people what has driven you southwards again. You work in an office, which to you is explanation enough for your deadening state. But there are others who stay bright despite the work, and sometimes you would like to hit them over the head with a saucepan. Jealousy is not a pretty dress, but seems to be the only one that fits you. Luckily, you are fired one day in early July. After some crying, you return to your apartment and sit alone on your bed, contemplating what comes next. You consider returning north. You consider traveling further south, where people are supposedly friendlier. You consider sleeping until somebody forces you to move, but it is too hot to sleep. It is tempting to think that if you had never been exposed to the joys of teaching a small deer to walk on hardwood floors, you would not spend every day knowing what you are missing. But you understand, elementally, that this is untrue. Our synapses long for the cosmos even if we've never seen them. It is why some people believe in God. You find yourself inside of your closet, rummaging through boxes, Eventually, you come up with what you were looking for, a worn-down Nikon, its battery nearly drained. You turn it on, the screen warms up, the shutter clicks once. You scroll backwards in time, both grateful and mourning for your haphazard deletions. Here are the hunting grounds. Here is your house in the north. Here are your parents. Here is an old friend who came to visit. Here is Star Wars. Here, briefly, is a man who loved you. You continue to scroll, not caring when the cycle repeats and old images return. You let your eyes blur. The images move faster and faster. They are with you now, all of them, haunting you, holding you, 
whispering of pasts and futures that seem distant, strange, expansive. Superstition. Humans. And you, alone in your closet, whisper back. That was Zach Fericchioni reading Indoor Animals by Noah Bogdanoff. Indoor Animals was originally published in NER Volume 39, Number 4. Noah Bogdanoff is a writer and clinical social work student living in Providence, Rhode Island. His work has appeared or is forthcoming in Carve, Passages North, and Catapult. He has received support from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, Writing by Writers, and the AWP. He has a degree in environmental studies and a cat named Alaska. Zachary Vericchioni is a member of the Middlebury College class of 2021. He is a native Vermonter and a theater and political science double major. We recorded Zach on a stormy evening, starting off in a film screening classroom sprawled across the comfortable theater seats, but the sound of thunder outside kept interrupting the story. After roaming around the building, clapping, and snapping to find the perfect, not too echoey recording space, we settled down on the floor of the history department's hallway. It was from this unusual location that we recorded the story you heard today. If you want more of the New England Review or want to know more about the stories you heard today, come to our website to read and subscribe. The NER Out Loud podcast is produced by the New England Review in association with Middlebury College and Oratory Now. Our readers today were Katie Marshall and Zach Vericchioni with pieces by Corey Marks and Noah Bogdanoff. Our executive producers are Carolyn Keebler and Dana Yatton, and this episode was edited by Rahat Huda and Leila Markosian. If you have a favorite piece from the magazine you would like to hear read aloud, email us at nereview at middlebury.edu. I'm Rahat Huda. And I'm Leila Markosian. And you've been listening to NER Out Loud, the official podcast of the New England Review. Thank you for listening.